All right, let's see how awake you are this morning. What lies at the bottom of the ocean and twitches? A nervous wreck. Take your Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 6. Now, it does get better. That's where you, when you start down low, it just gets better as you go. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, we're talking about worry today. And, uh, that's not a bad place for us to start on that point. How are you when it comes to anxiety and worry? Let me give you an example out of my own background of a little bit of worry that, uh, you know, a little bit of worry is, is bad. A little bit of worry is enough to take you over the edge. When I was graduating from Southwestern Baptist Seminary with master's degree, uh, we did that graduation in the uh, auditorium at Travis Avenue Baptist Church in Fort Worth. And so we had to go practice that. Um, master's students are not quite far enough along to be able to do a graduation without practice, apparently. And so they gather us all together there, and they put us down in the choir room, which is below, or I think as best I can remember, it was below the main floor where the auditorium was. And they gather us all in there. And of course, Southwestern's the largest seminary in the, uh, in the world, and so there's a bunch of graduates. And uh, so they put us in alphabetical order, what you would expect to do. And this is during the practice part of it. And they have, you know, so you sit down, you see the people. All you really have to remember are the people who stand on either side of you. And so they get us all down there and they're starting to tell us how it all goes. And they tell us this little detail. The registrar and the people in the main office are not finished yet. Now, this was the day before graduation. They're not yet finished recording all of your final exam scores, which means in the rare event that one of you did not pass your course, tomorrow at graduation we will pull you out of the line, and that's when you'll know that you didn't pass. Okay? Now, first of all, there's another piece of the background to this story that you need to know. I was taking courses from the Houston Extension Center, And uh, those classes were Mondays and Tuesdays. And the rehearsal was on Wednesday and the graduation was on Thursday. And I had a particular class. It was an elective. It was not even a class that I had to have except for the hours. It was a two-hour class. And I had to have it. It was a book of Acts. And uh, the professor that we had there was uh, my Greek professor also. And he was tough, to say the least. And the whole course, the grade for the course came down to two grades, a midterm exam and the final exam. So no matter how well you did on the midterm, if you didn't do well on the final, you just weren't going to pass the class. And on the midterm, uh, well, let's just say I didn't have to drop the class after the midterm, but it wasn't quite as, as high as I wanted it to be. So they give us this information Tomorrow at graduation, if you didn't pass your classes, we'll pull you out of the line. All right, so I'm thinking, man, I had that class. I don't know how I did on the final, and oh, how embarrassing it's going to be. My parents had driven one from Idaho and another one from Rio Grande Valley and met in Fort Worth, and Teresa's family was there, and I was thinking, man, this is going to be bad. Uh, Not to mention the fact that I would have had to take another class, and I was ready to get out and all of that stuff. And so uh, I started worrying about it the day before graduation. And uh, so 
That made it for a rough night. The next day, I get up and all of the stuff, you know, what should be a great high moment in a family's life, especially mine. I've been going to school forever, I thought. I'm finally going to get out. But there was this thing hanging out there like, man, what if I, oh, man, this is going to be bad. And, and so I get in there and I sit down. And it's about 10 minutes before we're supposed to go out into the graduation ceremony itself. And somebody walks in and they walk up to my chair and they say, are you Mark Rotrammel? <laughs> and I said, uh, who wants to know? <laughs> I said, yes, I am. They said, uh, follow me, please. <laughs> and I was going, no way, no way, no way. And so they got me out in the hall, and they said, hang on just a second, somebody's going to come talk to you. Oh, great. So I'm in, that's why when I started losing my hair, by the way, was that moment. <laughs> so I'm standing in the hall, and I'm, and I'm thinking to myself, I cannot believe this. I mean, I had a really high GPA through the whole thing, this, this do-nothing class, and it's going to keep me from graduating. And I, was, and I was just thinking, oh, my goodness. And this person finally walked up. And they said, are you Mark Rotrammel? And I said, um, who wants to know? And they said, uh, here's the deal. The guy that sits next to you broke his leg yesterday playing basketball. And so he's not going to be there when you go walking out. And I went, you're kidding me, right? You brought me out here and put me through that to just tell me that this other knucklehead broke his leg and he's not going to be there. And uh, so what good was the worry in that? I want you to think this morning as we start about the, by the way, I did graduate. Uh, and uh, I want you to think this morning about the one thing that gets you worked up. Worry is one of those staples of the human condition. Here's a question for you. I'll tell you up front. This is a trick question. Is it possible to live a worry-free life? Is it possible to have no anxiety in your life? Now, the trick part of that question is that worry and anxiety is so prevalent in our society and in the human condition that our tendency is to say, no, you can't get rid of it totally. But the problem with that answer is that if you say you can't get rid of worry or anxiety in your life, then you're saying that God is not capable of ruling over that part of your life. So this is one of those times where the good Sunday school answer um, is right, but it's very difficult for us to wrap our mind around it. Is it possible to live a worry-free life? The answer is absolutely yes. As a matter of fact, I think it's more than possible. I think that it's one of those things that God lays out before us and says, this is the standard for you. You know, I was watching this video that we had with the birdcage thing. Very powerful message. And I was thinking of some of what they were talking about and putting it in the context of what I'm talking about this morning. And I wonder if there's not times... That God from heaven observes us as we go through our lives and it breaks his heart to see us struggling through life, loaded down with worry and anxiety, knowing that that's not his standard for us. You ever think that you might break God's heart with the way you live? 
We're in an, and anxiety. We're in Matthew chapter 6. As a matter of fact, today's message causes us to finish chapter 6. Next week we'll go into chapter 7. And so let's read in this passage. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. Jesus says, Therefore... Now that points us back to what's already been said, and we'll get to that in a little bit. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble." Remember, the context in which we come to this passage of Scripture is tied into this whole Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is bringing His disciples to Himself and He's elevating the standards for them. He says in Matthew chapter 5, the thesis of the entire Sermon on the Mount, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. And what He's saying with that is the standard just jumped up for you, which was a... An amazing kind of a statement for them. A challenging kind of a statement to be sure. And so since Matthew chapter 5 verses 17 and thereabouts to this point, Jesus has systematically laid out this is what the righteousness of God, of the kingdom of God, really looks like. And what he's done is he's taken away the emphasis on the external and he's moved it to a religion, a relationship. It's of the heart kind of stuff. Not just following blindly a bunch of statutes. So now he comes and he says in verse 33, one more time I'll read it, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In other words, put aside that old emphasis of stuff and hang on to the true and to the right. The true and the right in this case now is dealing specifically with worry and anxiety. I want to take this from two different sides today. The title of the sermon is Why Worry? I want to use it two different ways. And the first way is, why do we worry? What are some reasons that cause us to slip into an anxiety-riddled life in this day and age? Well, first of all, part of it is because of what I call situational focus. You understand what I mean by that? What I mean by that is this part of our natural tendency, I think. It's not the 
divine tendency that we need to develop in our lives, but it's a natural tendency, and that is that we get so focused on the circumstances around us. We get so involved and invested in the situation of the moment that we fail then to hold on to the truths of the kingdom of heaven. For instance, that example that I just gave you, I was so focused on the negative of what might have happened that I wasn't even prepared when they gave me a positive statement for me. Let me put it in different terms. We get so situationally focused that it robs us of balanced living. Medical student. And as he was doing his rotations, learning each different kind of medicine that's out there, and then he was after that rotation, he was supposed to figure out where he wanted to focus in. He was in this particular hospital, and they removed him from one section to another. And so because of that, he had a lot to do with some of the same nurses in that hospital. And uh, one day, or actually a set of days were, had gone by, and this one nurse walked up to him and said, Hey, you seem to be unusually happy and carefree today. What is it that's going on in your life that causes this change? Because normally you're all like, you know, carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders and all downcast. And what, what happened in your life? He says, oh, well, let me, let me, he said, you know, this thing about medicine has made me a very sick person until today and, or till these days. And she said, what do you mean by that? He said, well, when, when I was working over in the psych ward, and I was learning about dealing with psychiatric patients. Uh, I thought I was going crazy. And the nurse kind of laughed a little bit. And he said, okay. And he said, but then they moved me over to the cardiac stuff where I was dealing with heart patients. And I always had this pain in my chest. And I thought, man, I'm having a heart attack. And uh, she kind of went, well, okay. And so then he said, and then they moved me over to the cancer ward, and I was dealing with people with cancer. And then every time I looked at myself in the mirror, I thought, that looks, that looks, that looks bad. I, I might have cancer. But he said, since I've been working in the maternity ward, I don't have to worry about those sicknesses. <laughs> the focus on the situation causes us. Remember what I said last week? Man gradually becomes like that unto which he consistently looks. That's situational focus. The more you focus in on the negatives of the situation, the more you carry those negatives with you. And it breeds worry and anxiety. So let me just stop for a second. This is a good point, a few minutes in, for us to stop and make sure that all of us are wearing this sermon for ourselves. What is it today that is worrying you? What is it that just the mention of it from somebody else or even just the passing thought of it in your mind causes you anxiety inside? You know that anxiety and worry is so much a part of of our lives that we just kind of own it. We say, yeah, well, I'm worried about this or I'm anxious about this. Never giving thought to this particular teaching that Jesus gives us. Situational focus breeds worry. Another thing that causes us to worry is when we feel threatened. Like something is about to take over. 
Look at this passage. Jesus now is dealing with, as he deals with anxiety and worry, he centers his comments on two particular areas, on food and on clothing. Now, that's not an accident by him. One of the things we have to realize is that that first century group of disciples uh, did not have nearly the stuff, that was last week's message, the stuff that we have. That we have a bank that will hold our money for us. Theoretically, anyway. We have cabinets that hold our food. We have grocery stores that hold more food than we want to keep at our house so we can go to the bank, get money, go to the grocery store, get food, take it home, put it in our cabinets, and not have to worry about what we're going to eat tomorrow. They didn't have that luxury in the first century. They didn't have a J.C. Penney's around the corner or a Walmart or wherever... You know, you happen to buy your clothes. I guess I just revealed where I buy mine. Maybe. They didn't have those kind of things. And so Jesus zeroes in on the... And by the way, this is one of those things that psychologists today tell us. It's the fundamental level of need that we have to operate at that level before any others. And that is security in the stuff to live with. Food, water, clothing, shelter... So Jesus puts his comments right there, right down on the bottom shelf. Why do you worry about the basic necessities of life? He's not only talking to rich people here. He's talking about survival. Why do you worry about survival? It makes me want to step back and go, okay, time out, hold on. Did I hear that right? Why do I worry about survival? Because the alternative is not great. How does that for an answer? Well, apparently for Jesus, it's not a good one. Why worry? Why fret? Why be anxious about the basic necessities of life? Now, either Jesus knows something or he's totally out of touch with human nature. Which do you think it is? Well, that was a slow answer. I would have expected a lot faster. He knows something that he's trying to teach his disciples. And by the way, while we're on his disciples here, these guys, above all people, should have been worried about their stuff. They left their livelihoods. They cut ties with their father's business, some of them, as they walked out to follow him, answering his call, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. What did they do for survival? They depended on other people for that. And so in their minds, I'm just projecting a little bit onto them because this is how I think I would have thought. In their minds, my mind would have been saying, now Jesus, if you make these people mad, they're not going to feed us tomorrow. And you've already cut our supply line from home. So what are we going to do for food tomorrow? You want me to put it in real terms for us? What are we going to do if the Bluebell factory shuts down? We're going to suffer and die. Horrible death. That's ridiculous, that example is. But what if your bank shut down and froze your funds before this day was over? What are you going to do for survival? Very little in life triggers anxiety like a threat to our survival. Being threatened, and particularly Our control over our resources threatens us. and It causes us to live in an anxious state 
And when we live there, we open the door wide for worry to march in and take over. This term, worry and anxiety, that's in this passage that Jesus uses repeatedly is an interesting term. Literally, it means to be pulled apart. You ever feel that way? In the midst of something where you know something ought to be this way, but it's not that way, and so it causes you to to ruminate and to just roll it over in your mind, and it just gradually tears you apart. That's the picture that this word paints for us. I like what Oswald Chambers says. Fretfulness springs from a determination to get my own way. Is that true for you? When it doesn't go your way, that triggers something in you? I like also Life Magazine. January of 1981, Life Magazine quoted this, or wrote this, and I'll quote them. Whoever is not schizophrenic these days isn't thinking clearly. You hear that? That is an endorsement for anxiety. If you're not pulled apart these days, you just don't understand. That's what they're saying. Doesn't that sound like our world these days? Pulled apart. Over a period of time, the word, as we find it used in Scripture, gravitated to mean something else. So extra-biblical writing, the word that is used here, meaning pulled apart, comes to mean sleeplessness. So let's wear that for just a little bit. How are you sleeping these days? You know, periods of my life uh, that I haven't done too well with this worry thing. I got a PhD in worry during those times. That's you know, in life school, not in real school. They don't give you those in real school. Um, they create a lot of worry for you in real schools. I, I went for, at one point, I went for about four and a half months on about two hours of sleep a night. Because I had so worked me and Teresa into a situation financially that I didn't believe God could get us out of it. And so I'd go to bed fine because I was worn out, tired. But somewhere about 11.30 to 1, 2 o'clock, something like that, something would wake me up. And the minute that I woke up, I was immediately attacking that problem in my head, rolling it over, letting it work me over. Does that sound familiar for you? One of the best ways to figure out where your faith is, I'll come back to that statement in a moment, when it comes to these kind of issues is how you're sleeping at night. Now, I know half of us are going, oh, man, Tylenol PM, I sleep great. I'm not saying you shouldn't use that kind of stuff, but I am saying if you have to use that stuff to go to sleep, something ain't right. Jesus comes into the mix and he says the kingdom of heaven is marked by people free of worry. I'm thinking that's a small kingdom. (laughs) I don't know very many people that don't do well when it comes, or that do very well when it comes to worry and anxiety. I had somebody ask me after the first service, is it bad if I just don't let stuff get to me? 
I thought only in America would somebody ask that question. If you can live your life and not be tied up and wrapped up in all kinds of anxious and worried about the trivial stuff of life, good for you. Jesus, in fact, says, great for you. But that's not a stick-your-head-in-the-sand kind of a free-from-worry. There's something else to this, and we'll come to that in just a second. Essentially, though, what we find is that this idea of being threatened ultimately comes down to a loss of control because we love to control the stuff of our lives. And when we don't control it, we're threatened. And it opens wide the door for anxiety. They're going to get my stuff. Or I'm not going to get my stuff. So let's look at the other way of looking at this why worry question. Why should we not worry? We just looked at why we do worry. Let's look at why we should not. Actually, let's look at what Jesus says about that. First is in verse 27. And that is that it's futile or futile, wherever you happen to come from and how you pronounce that in your neck of the woods, it's futile to worry about anything. Verse 27, Jesus hits this for us. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? You know what that essentially says? If you are given over to worrying about stuff, ultimately all of that worry that you do does nothing to fix the problem. It's futile. It's, it's, it's like running on one of those hamster wheels. You know, you feel great about yourself, but you're just not going anywhere with that. So Jesus says it's just, it, just, it makes no sense. That's kind of the next one I'll get to in a second. But before we go there, listen to what Corey Ten Boom said about this idea of worry being futile. Worry doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrows. It only empties today of its strength. That's profound. It's so profound that we don't even think about it when we're in the midst of worrying about stuff. Jesus says, what good is it doing you? It just works you up. It just makes you lose sleep. It diverts your focus in life. Secondly, We should not worry because it makes no sense. (laughs) Look at verse 32 and also verse 34. I'll read all of them, but those two are the keys that I want you to look at. Verse 31, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Here it is. For the Gentiles seek after those things. In other words, the ungodly, the non-chosen of God, at this particular point in what Jesus is saying. The Gentiles seek after all those things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Now, this is a dramatic pause. I'm pausing dramatically so that you get that. So often our scripture reading, we just rush right through. We don't let it get all over us like it needs to. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. That's good news. You know what that is? That's worry-free living kind of news. Verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and all and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And then here in verse 34, therefore, based on all of that, don't be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. 
It'll take us a while to dig through what that really means. What Jesus is saying is, it makes no sense to be worried. It doesn't make sense. But we got a lot of PhDs in worry in the church of America these days. Somehow we've decided that God just isn't quite capable, so we're going to help him. One of my professors wrote this in a book. It's an anonymous quote. He didn't know where it came from. I don't know where it came from, but this is what he wrote. Said the robin to the sparrow, I really would like to know why those anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, well, think that it must be that they have no heavenly father as cares for you and me. You see, what Jesus is saying is it makes no sense to worry because your father knows what you need. Actually, it's kind of a step even beyond that. He knows what you need And because he loves you, he's committed to step into the need. You know, it's one thing for somebody to know that you need something, but they have to do something with that in order for you to get the help that you need. God knows all, and God chooses to step into the need and act on your behalf. That is good news. If you happen to be a worrier... Ultimately, in the final analysis of it all, a choice to worry or a choice to be anxious is a choice not to trust God. And the whole basis of this Christian life that we talk about is wrapped up in trusting God. And the just shall live by faith. Hebrews says, without faith... You know what it says? I started to say, just to see if you're listening, I'm afraid maybe too many of us don't know the passage. I started to say, without faith, it's not likely you're going to please God. That's not what it says. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So this one area of life, i just stop for again for just a second, and I want you to think about the one area. And maybe some of you are going, man, it would be a luxury if I just had one area to worry about. The one area that you are most apt to be anxious about. Finances? I get that. Been there. Relationships? (laughs) Been there. Kids? (laughs) Yeah, I could write a book on that one. Where's your faith? Where's your faith? Finally, a third reason we should not worry because it shows and it opens the door for misplaced priorities. That's verse 33. We have a real tendency, all of us do, to go towards... Priorities that shouldn't be priorities. Jesus nails this for us. But seek first. Let me, let me use, let me, for just a second, this word seek, 
it's, it's taken out of first century life. It's taken out of a hunting world. It's almost deer season, right? And I heard a bunch of guys go, oh, 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 oh. yeah, almost deer season, right? Um, and in just a month or two, however long it is, not, not even two months, I don't think, but whatever it is, you're going to go out, a bunch of you guys are going to go out, and ladies, you go out to a deer lease somewhere, and you're already feeding them corn or whatever it is you do to kind of say, okay, we've got a special prize for you in November. And you put up blinds and you do all of those kinds of things, okay, to prepare for the kill shot. All of that preparation is the background of this word seek. It's to hunt. It's to pursue. It's to prioritize in such a way. Remember, those people in that time, they had to do that just to live every day. That was consuming for them, just survival. Take all of that and the emotion and the thinking and all of the stuff that's tied to the hunt, and that's the word here. And we're to use that, seek, pursue his kingdom and his righteousness. And what's the promise attached to that? 95% of the time, you'll get what you need. Is that what it says? It's not what it says. Verse 33, but seek first his kingdom, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and a few of these things will be added to you. That's not what it says. All of these things. What things is that? It's the food, the clothing, all of the stuff that he's been talking about, even in last week's message, it all comes to a head in verse 33. You get your priorities straight and God will bless you. And now, oh my goodness, I just stepped into the name it, claim it stuff if you heard that wrong. Okay? God doesn't promise to make you prosperous like some people will tell you. Okay? Whatever else you want to call that stuff that they preach, it's heresy. He does promise to take care of you. Now that may mean that you're going to have to wait today to get tomorrow's stuff. Now that'll... Test your faith. It's easy to trust God for eternity because I'm not looking at eternity today. Trusting Him to fill my plate at lunchtime, that might be another story. You see the difference? You seek first. You get the hunt right, and He'll see to it that you don't go lacking. What a great promise. You know, that's not how we are, though. We want to stack it up. We're in last week's stuff now. We want to stack it up. They asked Rockefeller one time, one of the richest men, maybe the richest in the world at that time. They asked him, how much is enough? You got all of this money and all this stuff. How much is enough? You know what he said? Just a little bit more. It's always enough if I, just a little bit more. That's my standard answer. But a little bit more can cause us to drop our faith. So what do you do with all of this? In the middle of the night... When you wake up and that issue for you is churning in your soul and you're scheming of how to get on top of it, what do you do? How do you not worry? Jesus has answered that for us here. You go to the fact that you know God and God knows you. And he loves you enough to step into the mess of your life and pull you through Where's your faith? Let's pray.
And so, Father, once again, we come up against a passage of Scripture that sure doesn't seem to fit our times. We confess that before you. Too often as Christians, we've just been like the rest of the world and we fall right into that stinking thinking that doesn't honor you at all. Father, I know a crowd like this, there are people that are deeply concerned about serious issues in their lives. And worry may in fact have crowded you off of the throne of their lives. Anxiety rules the day. Father, for those people right now, I ask that your spirit would have freedom with them to just give them a taste of the release that comes with trusting you with those things. To be able to let it all go, fall down before a holy God who loves them and give it up. Father, help us. We need help with this. Father, even now, some of us, that stuff that causes us to worry has kept us even from knowing you in the first place in a saving kind of a way. Pray that you would move among us, Father, and those who don't know you as Savior, right this second, they would sense your presence and your call to them. Help us. In Jesus' name.